Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm your host, Sheila Hamilton. And today we have such an awesome show for you. Our guest is truly the definition of triple threat. If you multiply that by 10, he's a songwriter, producer, filmmaker, TV personality, and activist. In 2017, he received the prestigious Award of Excellence from the National Council for Behavioral Health for his advocacy work and for founding the Keep Oregon Well campaign, which you know I love, which fights the stigma of mental illness. And more recently, he joined forces with tech company Top Level Design to bring his dot .gay platform to market alongside George Takai, Glad, Adam Lambert, and many others. Advocate Magazine writes, somehow a kid who grew up in a fundamentalist Christian church where even musical instruments were too secular to have around has developed into an innovative adult musician with a dirty, honest edge, blunt, raunchy, and fun. That's my friend, Logan Lynn. It's good to see you. You know, you're honestly one of the very few people that I know that took quarantine so seriously, you literally did not leave your house, not for yes. meetups, not for work, not for anything. How did you manage this? I have managed it in different ways throughout the last year, you know, like at first I was like, stay home, save lives. Ah! And then it sort of moved into like a really fear-based thing for a while. And then after that, I just, I think I went full agoraphobic a little bit where I was like, danger. And then, you know, getting the mail was like a mission impossible experience in the middle of the night. Like it just really went into, I don't want to get this mode. Um, and I don't want to give this mode, like both things. So uh, I locked it down. I'm in a place where I am privileged enough to have been able to stay home, stay safe. Like that wasn't on the table for everyone and, and certainly wouldn't have been on the table for me years ago. So uh, I've been really grateful that I had a, a way to stay safe and, and, and do all my work, keep things moving forward. Um, but at home, I mean, the modern world is kind of amazing, right? Like that yeah, person can actually have an outdoor space at home and get groceries delivered yeah. and, you know, quarantine for um, over a year uh, with, uh, without losing any professional opportunities. I'm the last person in my family to be vaccinated. Uh, and so I'm just feeling so hopeful and excited about I it. I can't wait to see you. And I know it'll be a while before we're comfortable hugging again, but. Mwah. Well, you and I weren't comfortable hugging. You were like an early adopter. <laughs> like the, the moment COVID broke, like we were stars <laughs> on the reality of the situation that we were heading into. So that will be a good hug whenever it happens. No doubt. So I've been fascinated watching your product uh, projects during this because you took out a new album. Yeah. You um, launched the Foundation for Portugal, The Man, which is just doing such fabulous stuff, especially for indigenous peoples. You have a new series uh, with the website that you launched, .gay, which I want to hear everything about. And then you have this collab with Gucci that requires you every day to get dressed, to look amazing. Did you think you were going to have this much juice to be able to give during the pandemic? I certainly have spent a lot of time alone in my life, you know, growing up, it, whether it was in the church environment or homeschool, like I've spent a lot of time alone. And then certainly when I was um, living out my active addiction, that was in solitude. And then early recovery, like I was very much alone and, and sort of locked in the house, keeping myself safe. So I actually think I had built up a muscle around ah. this where like I have made peace with the difference between being alone and being lonely long ago and have always had to kind of make things happen 
myself out of nowhere, oftentimes in a room somewhere, right? So I leaned into that. If Once I took the narrative work of like impending doom or existential crisis, all the fun things that were like, la, 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 we're yeah. here. Like if I just paid no attention to those things, yeah. I was really able to lean in to something I'd done before. You know, like I've, I've actually been here before. I know how to do this. It was an interesting time to launch a foundation. Yeah launch a global tech platform like those are things I actually hadn't done before yeah um so to have the launches start and then have the world shut down was very challenging I'll say but like we were the good thing about it was I had a lot of time to figure it out right so there wasn't the world did shut down in a way where we just pivoted. We, yeah. you know, I figured out with the band how to show up for community this year in a way that probably looks different than we were going to show up in yeah. any other year, but ended up being really important. We were able to show up with masks and PPE and things that Alaskan tribes would not have received otherwise at, yeah. at certain points in the pandemic. So I feel really grateful in some ways that we were able to really um, it was a little sink or swim for a, for a nonprofit organization to just become a nonprofit organization during the midst of this. But I think the, the good thing about me is that I don't have this idea that life is going to play out like I have planned it to play out mm-hmm. at all. I do not think that ever. And so my plans often are this could happen. And then if this happens, we'll do this, right? Like it's, it's built in that the, the other shoe is going to fall. And that so- is, that, I think that your story, especially your story um, of trauma is probably one of the most incredible healing journeys that I've ever heard. And I really want people to understand that even though trauma defines us, we also have to start looking at these muscles that we develop as a response to it. And that one that you just said, that yeah. kind of thinking of three different ways to do it is also the great muscle from trauma. So totally. tell people a little bit about how you grew up and what happened to you, just so they get a sense of your bigger story. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, I was born into an unfortunate community. I am an out gay person. I was, I came out of my mother's womb, the same out gay person, right? Like I was a gay baby. Less Gucci, less Gucci, baby. <laughs> I was definitely always gay. And, and as a child in this environment, this church environment that was anti-gay and, and really preached and, and believed that gay people were going to go to hell and that you had demons in you like and so that was already a layer of unfortunate i think the the thing that happened to me early on when i was 7 years old was a family friend sexually abused me over the course of time really injured me spiritually and physically and and sexually and i was so young and already experiencing this weird religious world where I didn't fit, that really sent me into a tailspin really early on. I I started drinking and and smoking and doing drugs around the age of 10, 11, 12, Mm. and was a full-blown drug addict by the time I was 14. And ultimately, you know, a lot of that community stuff early on where I felt like I lost everything, I lost my family, I lost my friends, I lost my sense of self in a way, um, propelled me to have to find out who I was really early on. It didn't actually have the effect that a lot of those adults probably thought it would, you know, shunning me or or any of that stuff. It actually ended up strengthening my resolve and forcing me to really become myself, but not without struggle. You know, I think because of what had happened to me and, and because of my early 
realization that using chemicals could actually take some of that struggle out even yeah. momentarily. Like I realized that really early on and leaned in really far to that. So I had a 16 year addiction to cocaine, al alcohol, crack cocaine, and just whatever else you got that ended in 2008, finally, after I um, OD'd, um, whatever number OD that was, I finally met a doctor who saw me and helped me understand that the reaction I was having to the trauma was what I was living out, right? Like yeah. that I hadn't actually decided to be a drug addict. I hadn't actually decided to lose my family and my home and, and all of the stuff that I lost, but that it was actually me doing my best with what I had. And what I had was a really raw deal. Yeah, no kidding. Have you ever met another addict or alcoholic who didn't have past trauma, this kind of story and some imagination where they had to learn to cope? No. Yeah, yeah no, I think everybody either. is trying to get things to stop, getting, you know, trying to feel better, right? And you right. don't really have that going on unless there's something to feel better from. I want you to go back. I've seen some uh, videos of you, like with your dancing and your choreography, and there was just still so much joy in your face and your movement and your incredible talent even then. And yet I was thinking this was already when the abuse was going on. So could you go back and maybe set a story that was kind of pivotal to you deciding I'm still going to be who I am? You know, cognitive dissonance is magic. So when yeah. I was little, I, I went straight into a place where I really believed I was on Kids Incorporated, which was a Disney Channel show and was friends with Tiffany, the pop star, friends with Debbie Gibson, the pop star, and really believed that I was a famous child star performing. It's so weird, I know. It's so it, awesome it, because look at what you've become. Actually, I mean, that's what I want to say to people. Friends with Tiffany and friends with Debbie Gibson. Right? Like, I dreamed and wished so hard in 1987 yeah. that all of those 1987 dreams and wishes actually have come true. I just think that that is such a wonderful message for people to, when they're searching for who they are, kind of go back to that seven-year-old. Like what yeah. was that seven-year-old dreaming about? You know, it's we so are kind powerful. Of all who we were then. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I think early on, that was how I dealt with it. That's how, that's why I was able to maintain joy and love and, and a, a sense of myself, even, even in the midst of the drug addiction and all yeah. this stuff with you know losing my home and just all of that stuff I still always believed that I was a famous pop star I know I love <laughs> it I really did so, and so eventually you know I when those opportunities came I was ready I mean I was like yeah I'm a pop star let's yeah, go I've been doing this every day of my life get on board yeah. so I want to talk about you first coming out and you were in this very staunch religious community and they kind of told you these were demons and yeah. they needed to be sort of extorted from you and you were sent to live with this other family and ultimately kind of ended up on the streets so yeah. At what point did you realize, oh my God, this is not a life that I can continue to live? Which life? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think there was different moments along the way where I decided that the risk of death or being hurt out there was better than what was happening to me in my community, right? That that like actually 
not being accepted as a gay person was worse. When I first came out, I was outed by a therapist actually to my parents and had to like go live with another family in Tennessee. It was terrible, right? And I think I also was coming around to having hormones and sex being a thing. And yeah. so like all the weird sexual violence that I had experienced early on resurfaced and like fueled my drug addiction. And I, you know, I, I chose to be a drug addict. I mean, I really did at a certain point decide this is the only way that I can be alive, right? That actually yeah. being awake requires these things. And, and for many years that was Coke and eventually that was crack and alcohol. And I would say, I didn't decide to stop doing that. I, I don't think I ever, ever would have had the wherewithal to make that decision. Yeah. My body decided that it was done. And, yeah. and so I had a partial stroke, went to the hospital mm-hmm. and finally met a doctor who connected me to what was happening. I, you know, I spent a year in treatment and have since uh, spent the last 13 years, it's 13 years ago last month, getting well, becoming myself again, putting things back together. And I would say that I have done a full-fledged bounce forward. You know, like there's like bouncing back from trauma and then there's like becoming who you always should have been and would have been without what happened to you. And I have healed and actually become that. I was looking at some stats from Mental Health America and suicidal ideation is so high right now. Four in 10 young adults from 11 to 17 have self-reported suicidal ideation and the number's even higher with young gay men trapped at home. And I was thinking about you with this, if you, if this had, if all of this had happened to you during a pandemic, if you had not only not been able to escape your home, but couldn't have found another community of people, regardless of what their activities were that allowed you to be gay, imagine the kind of trauma you'd be going through now. Oh yeah. And I would be inflicting it on anybody in the home, right? Like I, that was my whole deal was like yeah. traumatized, you're traumatized, let's go. <laughs> um, and so I would imagine I, it would be really bad. I mean, I was already acting that way as a child, as a youth. Yeah. I mean, I was already experiencing trauma and, and acting out with self-harm and being scary and jumping out of windows and driving my car into lakes. Like I was doing that stuff always. So I would imagine that I think had the internet existed back then, it's hard to say whether I would have found community and acceptance or found a much faster way to go down. Right. I tend to think it's probably faster way to go down, but you just never know. You know, I, I'm glad that I am not a young person right now. I, Like, I don't say that a lot, but this is one of the times where it, it's got to be so hard. Oh, it is. Logan, we could keep on talking, but we're running out of time. So I'm hoping that maybe you'll join us again a second week. And I really want to pick your thoughts on the tips for someone who's, say, 11 to 17 and who is terrified to come out. This has been Beyond Well. And if you like what you hear, please give us a thumbs up. Bye.